This is your host, Casey DeShock. Alaska Conversations is supported by a community of Alaskans dedicated to our state. If you'd like to view more information about the show, you can find us at alaskaconversations.com. There you'll be able to find this podcast as well as our show archive. The website is another place to find information and data concerning the topics we discuss, events, upcoming guests, and more about Alaska Conversations. If you have a question, comment, topic recommendation, or a suggested guest, you can email contact at alaskaconversations.com. This is episode nine, and my guest today is Bobby Wilkin, the president and head brewer at Hoodoo Brewing Company in Fairbanks, Alaska. Bobby has over a decade of experience in Alaska in the Alaska brewing scene. Bobby, welcome to Alaska Conversations. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. All right, so you're up in Fairbanks, Hoodoo Brewing Company, and you guys just primarily focus on brewing, or you're a brew restaurant. What what sort of operation do you have going there? Yeah, we're just uh, primarily um, brewing. So we we just make beer, um, and uh, we initially for the first couple of years we just uh, just had beer on site. People could bring food if they wanted to. Um, we still allow people to bring food, but now we have a rotating food truck schedule. So um, every day, different food trucks uh, parked out in our beer garden. We have a really great outdoor space, and we we built a spot for our. Uh, food truck to pull right up and uh, and serve right into the beer garden. So that's kind of that's kind of what we do now. But we our business is mainly just uh, making beer and selling it on site at the brewery, and then we do a little bit of distribution uh, mainly around Fairbanks. Well, you you grab wheat or barley, throw some yeast, some sugar, water. What what's so difficult about brewing beer? What are, what are the complexities of brewing a good batch of beer? Um. Yeah. Really. It's kind of a combination of um, brewing beer is, is kind of an engineering conundrum. You know, it's, we really make beer just like um, I started off home brewing, and we really make beer exactly like that. You do the exact same process, um, but you just do it in such a scale um, that it's really just trying to move uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds of grain around, and moving you know thousands of gallons of liquid around, and uh, and then trying to do that at a completely uh, clean and sanitary manner that can easily be cleaned and and uh and then trying to make sure that it's of a high quality where um people will actually want to buy it and and support your support your um hobby term career so um the big challenge is yeah just trying to keep quality up keep microbiological contamination at bay and and then keep the machines working with the pumps and um, the forklifts and things like that that help you uh help you actually make it happen it's engineering and science i have done some home brews myself i've been to plenty of events where everybody brings their home brew and a lot of times it, it ends up being everybody says yeah that's a that's a really great one but but really it's pretty poor quality when you're just a home brewer you know and so you move in into the commercial aspect of it you kind of, you need to have a little bit of experience some trial and error time would you recommend anybody just jump right in, start a microbrew tomorrow. Um, no, you definitely need you need some uh, luck, but most of all, you need um, you definitely need some education, and that can come from schooling. You know, there's brewing schools. I went to a brewing school, and then there's uh, really the most important thing is actually working at a working at a functioning brewery um, is is where I think I got the most uh, got the 
the most out of just seeing kind of day to day how people actually make beer on a commercial scale. And um, it's, there's so many variables in, in brewing and just in the industry in general that uh, I wouldn't recommend somebody look at it and go, Oh, that looks neat. I think I'll, I think I'll try that real quick and, and try to um, start a brewery tomorrow, but it's just something to it's kind of a, kind of a craft to master. Um, that's, that's very possible. Um, but it's, Homebrewer, homebrew beer kind of gets a bad rap because there's great homebrew beer out there that's commercial quality for sure. But um, a lot of it is homebrewers don't really have the kind of information and that experience of just kind of some key factors of having healthy, healthy yeast is a, is a big part of it. And that a lot of times doesn't come through with homebrewers. It just doesn't work out that way. Um, so then the little, little, uh, you know, little faults in, in beer can make the beer kind of just taste homebrewery as they say so <laughs> now you so you worked at a, a brewery I, when i was reading through it you worked down in juno i believe maybe i'm i'm off on that yeah. one, but no you're right I, I worked at uh alaskan brewing um i was a brewer for about three years um before that i i was uh i was home brewing and i uh, really wanted to get into the industry i went to the siebel institute uh in chicago and got a basically a brewing degree there and, and they have a combination program with a school in Germany and Munich. So I did this four month kind of crash course in, in brewing. And, uh, and then that's how I kind of made my way into Alaskan brewing. I more or less sent them my resume. I had no experience on it. And, uh, just when I was an avid home brewer and I went and took this, uh, um, got this diploma from the Siebel Institute and I just, that I really, really want that job, and I just kind of kept kept calling them and pestering them, and then it took about eight months, and finally there was an opening, and I I went down to Juno and um, kind of slid in there. But so I was, uh, yeah, Alaskan uh, three years as a brewer, and then the last two years I was there, I was in the uh, in the lab, quality control lab, just doing all sorts of statistical kind of quality control on the beer batches and. Um, testing new beers, brewing, brewing uh, new beers for future release, um, doing tastings every morning. Um, so I was there for about five years total, and then, and then my wife and I decided to um, uh, quit our jobs and try and try and start a brewery. Well, the, that was in we opened in 2012, Halloween 2012. Well, the the lab sounds like a, like a dream job. Wake up every morning, drink some beer, make sure that everything's going well, but. If you go onto your website, hoodoobrew.com, you can start looking around through there and somebody will find you, you actually have like the original plans drawn out on a computer piece of computer paper, it looks like. And and that's where Hoodoo Brew got its beginnings. Right. So you guys are just take this, you decide, okay, Juno's not it. You're from Fairbanks and you decided to head up to Fairbanks to get this thing started? Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm born and raised in Fairbanks, and my, my wife is too, and uh, I got a big family up here that I uh, enjoy their company, and uh, she does too. So we, we love Fairbanks, and we, uh, and there just wasn't, you know, in combination with that, with that um, there just wasn't uh, a representative brewery in Fairbanks. Silver Gulch is here, um, just north of town, out in Fox. Um, and they're a brewery restaurant, but I just felt that there just really needed to be kind of a, a Fairbanks brewery in town and, a, and just a place to go have a, a glass of beer or two and then, 
and just kind of represent. So there was also the opportunity we thought was just was just kind of wide open. So um, so we kind of threw caution to the wind and 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 decided to build build the brewery that we've been we've been dreaming about for ten years. And um, yeah, kind of seems seems like we pulled it off so far. And so now you've also got a story about growlers on on the website. Some people may think growlers are are more of a now that we have a lot of craft breweries, growlers have become more popular, but actually that's where the beer industry kind of started when, when bottling beer wasn't as profitable as it is today. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, people started doing growlers as a way to, yeah, a way to go grab beer straight from the brewery when, when there really wasn't a, a way to get beer in bottles uh, on a very small scale. And now there is, but there wasn't companies making small bottling machines. Um, bottling was for the big boys and the, and the big uh, big breweries putting out you know thousands of cases a day. But if you wanted to bottle in small amounts, you really were out of luck. So breweries started doing the um, growlers, kind of catching on in the in the nineties. And um, you know now today we see more and more canning. Now there's um, small canning lines um, of any size. We have a really, I, I think it's really the smallest possible canning line in the world. Um, you know, it's maybe six feet wide, it's rolling uh, six foot wide by about three feet deep uh, machine that we roll out and uh, we can beer every maybe two or three weeks. We do a little canning run. Uh, it's all super manual, but um, but it's a great way to get, get beer out the door. And another option to the growler, um, maybe if you're going camping or you just want to throw a couple beers in your backpack or um, or whatever, cans are, are a great option for that. So, so now breweries, you can... Get growlers. Uh, a lot of times, you can get bottles that are um, just bottles on a small scale, and then same with cans. Now, now canning is out there, and and there's also uh, crowlers. We don't do crowlers currently, but those are kind of a combination can growlers where the name comes from, and those are generally just filled uh, right out of the taps, and then there's a, a seamy a seamer that will uh, seam the lid on, and it's kind of just like this big can. Um, the one way, you know, disposable, recyclable, um, can, um, that, that is really easy for small breweries to, to do. So you see those popping up quite a bit nowadays. So you, you've got a small canning operation. Did you, do you have a bottling operation there or just cans? Um, we do have a bottling machine. We, we've done, uh, we do maybe one or two bottling runs a year of just a particular kind of special project. So, um, Currently, we've done a few um, barrel-aged barley wines, so b- barley wines aged in uh, whiskey or bourbon barrels. Um, as of as of late, we do um, two beers uh, released on each of the solstices. So, you know, solstice is a real big deal in Alaska, and uh, even more so up here in Fairbanks, where the shortest day of the year, December 21st, um, we get uh, three hours and 41 minutes is the length of the day up here. Uh, from sunrise to sunset. So we called it, we have a beer that we've made for the past two years um, called 341. That's a uh, imperial stout um, that we release uh, on winter solstice on December 21st um, to kind of celebrate. You know, this is the this is the dark time and uh, the sun is going to start coming back. Um, and then we do uh, we do uh, a beer kind of for the opposite day. You know, for June 21st, the longest day of the year. It's uh, our length of the day up here is 21 hours and 49 minutes. 
from sunrise to sunset. So we make a beer called 2149, and it's a strong um, Belgian triple, uh, about 12% alcohol. And uh, we release that on uh, summer solstice at the peak of uh, you know June in, June in Alaska. Um, so we have a small bottling line, an Italian bottle filler that we, we store away, and then we just pull it out for these special projects. And people can enjoy it during the Fairbanks has got the midnight softball games, softball tournament, all those things going on. So there's, there's a lot of stuff up there for the solstice. When you're talking about the sun, hoodoo is not ju- I mean, you're brewing, but you're, you're also venturing a little bit into some harnessing some of your solar power and, and whatnot up there. Yeah, we've installed the uh, solar panels. I think we're coming on about three years ago. Um, and uh, we just got them up on the roof just to kind of offset our offset our um, power usage. Uh, power up here is expensive as it is in a lot of places in Alaska. Um, and, uh, you know, we get abundant sunshine for about half the year. Uh, lots of blue skies up here. So we decided to just pop them in there. And um, breweries are, you know, energy-intensive businesses. You know, we have a lot of heating for um, brewing the beer, but we also have a lot of cooling for for uh, cooling the tanks and cooling our cold rooms. Um, so we have a, a large chilling system, electric chilling system, um, that is our main power bill. So we, uh, yeah, installed the, uh, it was about 80 solar panels. And uh, those, you know, for about half the year, they just kind of sit there and do nothing. And then about the other half of the year, they're, uh, you know, running our meter backwards. And um, we, we, save about maybe a third of our power about maybe 500 bucks a month we save uh in the for about half the year so it's it'll pay off you know and they say you know about eight to ten years something like that but uh we're a few years in so we're looking forward to that day but other than that they just sit up there and and uh slowly pay themselves back so it's a, and it's a good thing kind of for the environment um and so there's always that part of course uh, and you i mean you you've got so you've got the solar panels but you've also Hoodoo's involved in, you have a half marathon, and another thing I thought was really neat that people can find, hoodoobrew.com, is you've got a Girl Scout cookies pairing menu for your beers. Yeah, yeah we did that, uh, we try and do all those things, you know, you always want to come up with uh, new things and fun things, and, and just, uh, you don't want, uh, you don't want to get you don't want to get bored at all and you don't want, you want to come up with fun things for customers to do and, and ways to expand your craft and your mind. So yeah, we did, uh, we did some Girl Scout cookie pairing and, um, yeah, we do our, um, who do you have marathon? I think we just did our fourth year of that. Um, so that's, uh, that's in mid October generally. And it's, uh, the route has changed a couple of times, but basically runs kind of around Fairbanks. Um, Half marathon ends at the brewery. We have a big party, and uh, uh, last year we had um, close to 600 runners. Um, so it's been growing every year, um, and it's it's kind of the last the last big run of the of the season. Is we've kind of scored on weather the past few years. It's just been you know chilly, but uh, not wintry. You know, in Fairbanks it can be it can be winter in October, but it's, it's been we've had these uh, kind of late falls, which has been very welcome um so it's, it's a nice way to kind of cap off the running season we have a lot of um runners of clientele we have a weekly beer run on thursdays where a big group um 
meets, you know, rain or shine or no matter the temperature, if it's 40 below, they, they still meet at the brewery. They uh, go for a couple mile run every Thursday and then uh, come back and have a beer, celebrate. In the When it's 40 below, there's maybe 10 runners. And then when it's, uh, you know, 80 above in the summer, there, there could be upwards of 100 people meet there and uh, go for a run and have a beer. But we're always trying to do fun things in our community and just, and just create kind of the scene and, and, uh, and, and have fun in, in our jobs and to do, to do these fun events that we have the opportunity of doing. When you're looking at uh, brewing now, you, so you went from the design phase, the dream phase, you go from Juno back home to Fairbanks. When you're looking at getting into brewing and you're not pairing food, what, what sort of, um, what's the process for licensing you know, from the from the day that you dream it up to the day that, that you start serving beer, what are all of those steps? Are they pretty complicated or, or pretty straightforward and easy to get through? Yeah, licensing is definitely a, day, a pretty tough one for breweries. Um, you know, anybody that's making alcohol, it's a highly, highly regulated industry. Um, so there's all sorts of red tape to get through. But um you know, it's just one of those things. You just got to slog through it, and uh, it's, it's confusing and um, and com- complex. You know, we're we're regulated by the federal government, the state government, and the and the city government. Um, here, we're in the we're in the city of Fairbanks. Um, so we, you know, we uh, we get our kind of the first step is to get your brewer's notice from the federal government that allows you to make beer. Um, so that's a as you can imagine, a monstrous um, binder of, um, you know, background checks, uh, diagrams, what your intention is, what your equipment is, uh, and then how you plan to uh, track that that um, product, that alcohol, to make sure that they, they get paid their tax money. We pay um, $7 a barrel of beer goes to the federal government. That's the nationwide excise tax on on uh, on beer and so they want to make sure that you're tracking it properly and that they're uh, they're getting their tax payments uh, appropriately so you need to prove that you have a good system of saying uh, you know this keg is tax paid you know we've, we've already paid for that and this one we haven't yet but we will and uh, you have to bond your premises to make sure that they're going to get their money and uh, uh, you know they're very good at they're very good at uh, making sure they get their tax money so it's uh, that that's a big one is getting uh, licensed through the federal government. Um, the state government um, is pretty easy. Um, I know it's talking to brewers that have opened up recently. It's gotten a little more difficult. I think since we opened, um, there's it's kind of learning about the licensing in Alaska. Every state has different alcohol licenses, uh, different alcohol laws in general. So uh, learning the alcohol laws of your state, which is uh, Title Four here in Alaska. Um, and learning what sort of a license is appropriate for your business. So we have a, a brewery liquor license. Uh, Alaska has about nine different types of liquor licenses. So a brewery liquor license um, allows you to make beer, you know, as much beer as you want. You can make a million barrels um, if you want. Um, you can sell that to anybody else with a, uh, any sort of liquor license in Alaska. So you can sell it to, directly to bars and restaurants. Um, then... It doesn't allow you to. Uh, well, it does allow you to sell sell retail. So in a tap room setting, like like we have, and like there's quite a few around the state and around the country now, it's kind of the tap room setting where you go into the brewery and you can have a glass of beer. 
So in Alaska, you're allowed to um, go into a brewery and and have a have a pint of beer or two. Um, you're limited. There's, there's a lot of limitations. You're limited to 36 ounces per person per day. Uh, you can take five gallons, up to five gallons per person per day to go. So you can take a keg to go, or you can take 10 four packs or 10 growlers. That's that's five gallons, um, but no more. Um, we have to close at eight o'clock. We have to stop serving alcohol at eight o'clock. Is the eight, um, o'clo- is the the, eight o'clock by the, by the city or is that that state? You know, that's statewide for breweries. Yeah. Um, and on that, you know, and this only applies to breweries that don't have um, a brew pub license, which is a different license, and you would have a, a, a dispensary license, another license on top of that. Um, so kind of a good way to think of it is, is like Glacier Brew House in Anchorage is a, is a brew pub. So they can um, they can have whiskey and they can have vodka and they can have wine um, and they can stay open late and they can serve you as much as, as you want um, as long as you're not getting too drunk. And um, so that's kind of, there is a delineation between the brew pub and the brewery. Um, so yeah, eight o'clock, you know, we can't have uh, any TVs. Um, you can't have any uh, gaming, you know, no pool, no darts, uh, things like that. Uh, no, no live entertainment, which is generally thought of just to mean um, live music, you know, somebody, uh, a band or anything like that. Um, and no, uh, there's, a, there's some gray area laws that, that we're trying to clarify right now because it's also you aren't allowed to have um, any other recreational opportunities, which nobody really knows what that means. Um, so, uh, you so know, can you set up shuffleboard, uh, bags, shuffleboard, bags. Yeah, you can't have any any sort of uh, yeah, no no gaming like that. No, uh, nothing to you know. The way to think of it is that they don't want you to become a bar. So no no gaming, no pool, no shuffleboard, no uh, cornhole, things like that. Nothing that's going to cause people to linger. Um, is kind of the idea. Um, and we've done. Uh, we used to do yoga every Saturday morning. We had a yoga instructor come in, and they would do a morning uh, yoga session in the tap room and then uh, we would have a little beer afterwards. Um, but that was, that was seen as a recreational opportunity. So uh, we had to stop doing that. Um, we've done, uh, you know, we do a lot of fundraising for uh, nonprofits and things like that, but some of those have also been um, kind of seen as recreational opportunities. So we do less of that now, unfortunately, just because, um, the, the state laws are there. It's just a big gray area um, that unfortunately we, you know, we don't want to get in trouble. We want to abide by the law completely. Um, so uh, hopefully that's all, that'll all get cleared up. It's kind of in the process of uh, being cleared up. Title four is in the um, legislature right now, a rewrite that's been, I've been trying to get through uh, the state for the past, uh, I would say about six years now. Um, and so, uh, that will hopefully clarify some of those some of those laws. When when they're talking about these recreational, can't have a recreational opportunity, so you lose out on yoga and beer. Um, is is it because is part of the reason of that is because the licensing for a bar is substantially more expensive than the licensing for a brewery, or is it is there something else at foot there? Um. Yeah. I mean. In- in uh, broad strokes, yeah, that I would say that is why um, there's a limited number of uh, of all licenses in Alaska, population based. So um, a beverage dispensary license is uh, is kind of a full liquor license, a bar license. So that allows you to serve all you want, 
you know, the open lace, um, kind of the wide open uh, liquor license. And so those, those are population based. So there's a certain number uh, per capita are allowed in each, each uh, population area. So um, once those are all taken up, which in any, any city in Alaska, they're all taken up. They're all, somebody has every license. Um, then they, then they're on the, uh, they're transferable. So then they're on the open market. If, if I have one that, uh, I don't want anymore, I can sell it to basically the highest bidder. And, uh, in Fairbanks, those can go from, uh, let's say 50 to a hundred thousand dollars. And, uh, in Anchors Bay, there's always numbers being thrown around, but you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars they're worth. Um, so they're, they're very, very valuable, but that, that value isn't from the state. Um, that's really uh, because the law says that they are transferable. Once they're, once they're essentially sold out from the state, um, they can rise in value, which they have. Um, so, you know, those uh, dispensary license holders, you know, they want to protect that as much as they can. Um, whereas, you know, I'm, I'm in the viewpoint of that it's not really the state's job to um, – to ensure the value of your investment. So if you decided to invest in a dispensary license um, and you take on all the risk of that investment, like any, like me buying beer tanks and things like that, um, the state doesn't need to guarantee that your investment is going to pay off at some point or it's not going to lose value. Um, you're taking on the risk if the, if the market changes and uh, let's say breweries come in uh, with their tap rooms and they've become popular as they have. Um, if the dispensary license holders um, view that as basically competition, um, that's that's business and that's that's competition, and it should be kind of allowed to go where it goes. And this, the state shouldn't have to step in and um, um, try and stomp down the, the, the breweries that are uh, with their successful businesses. Um, but anyways, that's kind of the whole licensing uh, um, in Alaska is, is just this great. Great topic you go on on about forever. Yeah, you you can because you know when the, I I view craft breweries very much like I view Uber to taxis, etc. The consumers changed a little bit. Not there's not as many people, or maybe there's just uh, maybe there's the same amount, but more people from the fringes are looking for an experience that isn't you know three hundred people stuffed into a bar doing X. And so the, I think that the consumer is much more would be much more interested. There's a big market for things like the yoga and beer that you were talking about, and um, I'm not, you know, I know that you received the the pushback there, and there's all sorts of forces at hand there. Some of most of that is not to protect society at large. The, I mean, the vast majority of that is to protect the interest of whoever has purchased the license, and that happens in most in many, many industries, I know that they continue, uh, there's been a big fight about some of the food and hours, etc. for the breweries. Is there any other thing that as far as recreation that you found so far that was, uh, really surprised you? Um, you know, not a whole lot. Uh, there was, uh, there's a couple of incidences of, of uh, you know, people bringing in, uh, they bring in a cribbage board or they bring in some cards to just have some beer and, and, and play cribbage with their friends or bring in a board game or something. And, and then that basically be somebody reporting that to the, 
to the uh, state enforcement of, hey, there's gaming going on in this brewery. Um, kind of a little, kind of tattletale scenario, and it's just it's just kind of ridiculous. I mean, obviously the brewery isn't uh, is ab- abiding by the rules and and not saying, hey, come on in, we're doing a cribbage tournament. Right. Um, it's just somebody somebody happened to bring in a cribbage board and go sit in the corner. Um, and and that and that's one of the things that's hopefully going to be clarified in the in the title for rewrite is that if people bring in board games or they're just doing their thing, that's that's obviously totally fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it'll be, you know, hopefully things will get clarified and, and, uh, and we can all just relax and have a beer. Yeah. And, and so somebody's going to the board, then do you get a phone call or, or an email or something that says, Hey, here's a complaint that was filed against you. Or is there a formal process for that? Yeah, there's a formal process, you know, uh, you know, hopefully they'll give you some sort of a warning. They'll say, Hey, we just got this uh, report. Uh, you know, we got, uh, a report that uh, someone complained about the yoga and said that 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 could be recreational opportunity. They kind of just let us know. They gave us a little warning, um, so we said, "Okay, yeah, we'll you know we'll cancel it. We don't want to get um, the next step, which is a notice of violation, uh, NOV." So then that would uh, that would essentially go before the um, alcohol beverage control board, and they would look at the severity of it. You know, was it accidental or was it you know are you maliciously uh, do they need to take further action? Do they need to suspend your liquor license? Do they need to pull your liquor license? So you don't you don't want an NOV. You know it's a little strike on your record, I guess. So um, you know you don't want to upset the the uh, the board that controls controls the licensing. So um, yeah, usually they give you a warning, but I, but I, there are cases where sometimes they'll just issue you that uh, we have we haven't been issued an NOV, but um, there are cases where people have just got it in the mail that they got a violation and. Uh, they need to appear before the board at their next meeting, um, you know, which is, which is unfortunate, you know, because we, I think uh, the vast majority of the brewers who just want to, or just really any any business person, they want to uh, do what's right and, and abide by the law because um, you don't want to go through any sort of process you don't have to because you're just busy doing so many other things, just trying to keep keep the business going and and keep your employees happy and keep your customers happy and you just don't want to have to deal with anything um, any sort of other time suck and, and anything that's going to risk your business well and i don't want you to self-incriminate yourself any more than you have to with the licensing i know that that you're you're constantly having to watch out for this i mean one of the concerns if you got cribbage and yoga and craft beer i mean you're just one flannel shop away from attracting every hipster in the interior and, and you don't want to corner the market you know but um, no, it's true. It's true. <laughs> now, to the beer itself, I don't. Uh, I I'm not a beer expert whatsoever. If you're talking a lager versus an IPA, IPA, and I don't know if it's just because they're popular right now, but everybody loves to drink IPAs. What What's the difference between an IPA and some other type of beer? Yeah, I mean the, the two main uh, c- categories of beer are ale and lager. So. Um, and it's really the species of yeast that's used to make those two. And then under underneath those, uh, you know, main headers, then there's um, all sorts of different strains of yeast that will uh, that produce different flavors. But so between ale and lager, um, ale is uh, is any beer uh, fermented with an ale yeast, which is uh, fermented. You know, you could say around room temperature. So. Um, 
It's fermented, uh, you know, somewhere between 60 and let's say 85 degrees is where that yeast likes to, uh, likes to ferment, uh, sugar into, into alcohol. Um, so, and a lager is, is cool fermented. So those yeasts really like to, um, ferment, you know, let's say somewhere between about 45 and 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and, uh, ale yeast can, um, ferment, uh, kind of the simplest of sugars, the three simple sugars. Um, but lager yeast can, can ferment one more type of sugar. They're, they're, the cell wall is able to, um, bring in this, this, uh, third, this fourth type of sugar. And, uh, that happens, uh, it can happen at cool temperatures and over long periods of time. So, um, ales generally take between, let's say, uh, two to three weeks to make, um, lagers, um, you can just double that or maybe more. So lagers, um, do well with aging. Um, lager means to age, uh, the German, German term. So when you uh, lager a beer, you just kind of let it sit there in, in the cold tank and let it age and let that yeast, the yeast will just continue to slowly kind of nibble away at, um, at some sugars and really dry the beer out. Um, so that's why lagers can be very crisp and clean um, beers where ales usually have a, uh, they're not quite as crisp in general and they're more of a kind of fruity, have a little fruity notes. Usually lagers don't have any, any fruitiness to them. They're very crisp clean and you get a real fresh grain uh flavor where uh ale yeast kind of have fruity esters that come come from the yeast um so in that in that ale style that's where you have a lot of the beer styles um you hear of you know stout ipa porter um obviously pale ale um most most uh, beer styles fall into that ale category where under lager um, there's a lot of beers that are just called lager or there's, um, you know, Pilsner, there's Bach beers, those are lagers, um, all sorts of different, uh, uh, beers under that lager style. Most beers, uh, in the craft beer scene are, uh, are ales, uh, mainly because you have a lot more flexibility, a lot of different yeast strains producing a lot of different flavors. Um, they're, uh, from a startup brewery standpoint, they're quicker to make, so, you can, you basically wouldn't have to, you, you could buy half the tank space. You can turn over the tanks uh, faster if you're producing all ales. There's, there's very few all lager uh, microbreweries just because of the cost of the equipment. You need double the tank space or double the um, storage space for the beer. Um, we do mostly ales at Hoodoo. Um, we brew uh, our two uh, main beers that we, uh, we sell the most of are our Kolsch. And our IPA. So those are both ales. Um, the Kolsch is actually called a hybrid beer. So it's an ale yeast and we ferment it very cool. We ferment it at about 60 degrees. Um, to kind of, we get that crispness, um, that we get with a lager. Um, but we get to do it with an, with an ale yeast and, and that's a traditional, uh, style from Cologne, Germany is the Kolsch style. Um, Everything else we make just kind of rotates in and out. We have all sorts of different beers. Um, we, we kind of see it as a big home brewery. We just kind of say, gosh, it'd be neat to make, a, a, you know, a Schwartz beer, which is a black lager. It's like, yeah, let's do it. So then we just kind of uh, get the ingredients in here, and we brew away kind of whatever we're feeling like um, to kind of fill up our menu board. Um, so it's really fun. We, we do a few lagers a year. Um, we always do our Maibach in the spring. That's kind of our kickoff to summer it's, it's a malty german lager 
uh, light in color. Um, just a delicious, uh, delicious way to kick off. We released that in early May, um, just to kind of uh, get the summer going, and then uh, and then we do a traditional Oktoberfest uh, lager, um, and that comes out in uh, um, late September, right to kick off Oktoberfest. So we we start Oktoberfest at Hoodoo on the same day that they do in Germany, and we in Germany and in Munich they have the mayor of Munich come and tap the first keg of Oktoberfest at, at noon. On uh, on that first Saturday of Oktoberfest, and we do the same thing here. So on that same Saturday uh, at noon, we have the city mayor, and then we, we're lucky enough to have two mayors up here. So we have the city mayor and the borough mayor, and they come down and they uh, help us tap that uh, first keg, and then uh, and then the um, celebration kind of kicks off, and we do um, all sorts of uh, fun stuff uh, as as uh, much fun as we can have around the brewery. Uh, for Oktoberfest, and we do fun things around town. And um, anyways, that's uh, that's kind of the uh, ales and lagers. Um, there's also, you know, sour beers can be made a number of ways. Um, Britannomyces beers, that's another that's kind of a type of domesticated wild yeast. So those, those, those are sour beers. Um, um, we do a sour beer that's a kettle sour, so we sour the wort. Um, in the kettle before boiling, um, using raw grain, um, that sours the wort, and then we ferment it normally with an ale yeast. Um, but the great thing about craft beer is that there's just, it's endless. You know, every brewery makes beer a little differently or very differently, and uh, there's good quality and there's not so good quality, and there's really an endless number of styles uh, and variation and, and creativity that you can put into it, which is really one of the reasons. Um, we decided to get into it. I just, I just really love love seeing all the different beers out there and all the possibility, and um, and that's really why I, why I still love it is just being able to create new new beers and make people happy. So, is there is there like a central depository of yeast, or does every brewery kind of find the the supplier that they prefer? And I'm sure that you've got to ship yours in from the downstates. Yeah, we uh, you know there's there's a, quite a few yeast companies um, that you know their job is to just keep the yeast banks um, and they uh, they grow grow the yeast up to make uh, make pitchable amounts you know amounts that breweries can use um, in their breweries so we can order up any of uh, you know I would say hundred strains uh, we can order it and if they have it in stock then um, they can ship it out we have them overnighted and. Uh, nice temperature controlled boxes because you know you can't freeze that. Um, but uh, and there, there's so many strains from all over the world, you know, historic strains. Because really, these yeast strains that brewers are using have been, uh, you know, um, domesticated and refined over the over hundreds and hundreds of years um, to produce these great flavors that we get now with beers. And um, so, you know, in this day and age, it's great. You know, we can just order up. Uh, one of my favorite yeast strains is the, the Weihenschnepfen strain. That's this old German strain that produces, you know, fantastic Hefeweizen. So it's this particular yeast strain leaves the beer very cloudy. It doesn't settle to the bottom. So we have this cloudy beer. Um, it gives off isoamyl acetate, which is the, which is a banana flavor, and also uh, vinyl glycol, which is uh, a clove flavor. So you have this banana clovey flavor that comes from this yeast. And it just makes us incredible uh, Hefeweizen beer. 
So we can get that, you know, we can just order that and make that when we're ready to make our uh, heaven buys into the summer. Um, but we also try and reuse yeast so we can, if we're going to brew the same beer or a beer that uses the same yeast, we can harvest it out of the bottom of the tank. You know, the, when you see a fermenter in a brewery, it's got the cone shape at the bottom. So that's to kind of collect the yeast into that cone. And then you can harvest that out of the bottom of the tank, keep it in a, what we call a yeast brink which is a sanitary uh, yeast vessel. And we can keep that in the cooler. Um, where we keep it for no more than two weeks. So we can keep it kind of alive in the batch in our cooler. And then we can um, inject that into the next batch of beer that needs that yeast. And so that's this fresh, fresh, delicious yeast culture. And that, that's really the best way to do it. Um, so we try to do that whenever we can. It can be logistically challenging, especially if you're using multiple yeast. So that's, Whenever we can do that, we re, we reuse as much as we as much as we can. Um, but we also have kind of the world at our fingertips, and there's all these wonderful yeast strains out there. So if you're careful with it, the yeast can be kind of like a sourdough or something like that. You just keep it going, keep it going. As long as you don't let that thing die, you can brew another batch with it and keep on going until it's kind of expended. Something like that. You're saying? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you have healthy, if you have uh, good quality wort that you're feeding it and making good beer and everything's very clean. It's got to be very clean. Um, then you can you can use it over and over. The, the kind of rule of thumb out there is use it about 10 times um, because each time you use it, it goes through a reproductive phase where it, it produces more yeast in the tank. Um, so with that reproductive reproduction, um, you can start to have uh, variation. It'll start... Uh, um, it could start slowly changing um, the, the flavors that it produces. So there's a rule of thumb to use it about 10 times. So some breweries uh, uh, pitch fresh yeast every single time, uh, or they'll use it maybe up to three times. Some breweries will use it uh, hundreds of times. You know, old breweries that are in Europe, um, that's what they've always done. They just use it over and over and over and over and over again, and the yeast... Uh, uh, they know that the yeast isn't going to change for the worse. They've kind of domesticated it to that brewery. Um, we use it, uh, we might use it, you know, five to eight times. And then we we never have uh, perceived that um, the flavor is changing. But we kind of get to this point, and, and the yeast has always been just performing great, and everything seems normal. But I kind of get to this point, and I just say, uh, that's probably good. Let's just start over and just make sure we don't get to that point get to a point of it changing it's kind of just an insurance policy it's, it's worth it we get a few uses out of it and then uh and then i like to just start it new and just uh that, that over the years i kind of um we go a little farther and just kind of uh, assess it um at this point yeah we're kind of in the maybe five to eight uses and then we start over and what happens if you go you go into brewing and your beer comes out and it is it's fouled up it doesn't have the flavor that you want does that happen a lot? Is that something that you have to account for? Or is that a, a rarity? Um, it, it's, it's a rarity. You know, hopefully it's a rarity when you get to this point uh, with the commercial setting. Um, you know, it's kind of just case by case. We, we've only had one batch uh, very early on. It was one of our first batches, and um, we just weren't happy with it. It was just uh, overly sweet. It was a porter beer, and uh, we just were conflicted because we were, we were like well we you know we really would like to put this on tap and sell it we already had a hey we're tapping our new quarter tomorrow um but in the end when we we sat down and uh we decided not to sell it we just said this is 
it's probably pretty good, um, but it's not great. And we kind of said we're only going to produce great beer, and anything that um, isn't great, you know, we're not going to sell. Um, and when you get to that moment, though, it's hard to stick to that as a, as a business person because you put so much money into it at, until this point that you kind of just want to get it on tap and hopefully it'll just go away. But um, that's one of those difficult decisions that, that you have to take the higher road. And when we had that batch, uh, we found out it was a faulty temperature probe in the, in our mash tun, in our brew house. Uh, the temperature probe was, was just installed, you know, a few weeks before that. And, and uh, um, there was a, a screw that was a little loose. So the, the probe was reading incorrectly. And um, we basically made a, uh, not a very fermentable wort. So it came out very sweet. Um, so then the beer sat in the tank for a while and, and we were kind of getting ready to dump it. Although I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Um, and then um, that was right around when Great Harvest uh, Bread Company opened here in Fairbanks. And they were looking to make a, uh, a beer cheese bacon bread. So they called us and said, yeah, we just, we're wondering if you have any beer that's old or just, you know, anything that just, bottom of the barrel anything you can't sell or anything and it was just this perfect timing um we took them a keg of the beer and they made some bread with it and it was just this fantastic bread it was perfect and so they ended up uh, over the course of a few months using using this entire batch of beer to make bread out of it and, and uh it was it was just this uh, kind of serendipity awesome thing that we actually didn't have to dump it down the drain well, it's great not to have to waste it. And that's one of the questions I had about your byproducts. Does it, can any of your byproducts be used to go into animal feed or into, I don't know if they can do, I don't know what you can do with it, but the byproducts, where, yeah. do the, where does that go? We, um, the main byproduct is uh, called spent grain. So that's the grain that's left in the, in the mash tun or the water tun after, after you drain the liquid off and rinse as much sugar out of it as you can. So it's this, it's all the husk material from the barley. It's uh, uh, cellulose um, and uh, lots of proteins. So we, we generally are just taking um, the starches in the brew house and we're converting them into sugars. So then we're taking those sugars, um, which we're going to turn turn that uh, sweet liquid in, into beer. So what's left behind is that um, that cellulose and lots of protein. So um, it's, it's fantastic animal feed, really any brewery in, in the world is uh, selling or giving away their uh, spent grain to uh, local farmers because um, it's when it comes out of the brew house, it's hot. So it's, you know, 150 plus degrees. Um, it's hot and it's soaking wet. Um, and it kind of needs to be taken care of soon. So it needs to be either thrown into the, the, the pig feed and, or chickens. Chickens love it. Um, Cows love it. Uh, great high protein, uh, high high fiber feed. Um, but it kind of, it, since it's soaking wet, it kind of has to be done immediately. You can't just throw it on a shelf. Um, you know, after about two days, if you have a pile of spent grain sitting there, it'll uh, it'll smell really really bad. And then by about four days, uh, it will smell horrible. So uh, so we have a call list of farmers, um, mostly out on Chinahop Springs Road out here. Um, that we say, okay, we're brewing on uh, Wednesday. Um, we'll have about 2,000 pounds of spent grain, and then uh, we have a we have a guy named Brian that takes most most of it, but he'll just pull up in his truck. We'll just load him up right when it comes out of the brew house, and then he'll take it out and uh, mix it with some other things and feed it to his uh, his livestock out there. 
And do you, um, have you had any ability to tap into the Alaska grown market yet or, or using Alaska barley or is, is our barley that we're growing up here not really intended? Maybe there's not even enough supply. I don't know how that looks. Yeah, it's really the, you know, we get that question a lot, you know, that, oh yeah, they brew or they grow barley here. You know, why don't you use that? The main, main things is they grow mainly six row barley. So, um, Six row barley, you can make uh, you can make beer out of that, and that's really the main um, type of barley that um, let's say the, the big breweries, Budweiser, Miller, um, they use six row. Um, it's it's uh, it's a little cheaper. Um, you get a little bit more yield per acre when you're growing it, but uh, you don't have the same flavor qualities as uh, two row barley, which is. Uh, mainly what craft brewers use, just because you're you're relying so much on that great flavor, um, the highest quality. So uh, mainly what they grow up here is six row barley, because it's mainly used for uh, feed, um, and uh, so that's kind of the first the first uh, uh, barrier in the way. And the next one is that the, the grain has to be malted. So um, when they when they malt grain, they do this in um, generally uh you know massive quantities there's, there's huge maltsters all over the world um what they do is they uh, soak the grain for a couple of days um and that the, the seed the barley seed will take up moisture for a couple of days then they move the grain into uh into a germination room so these huge rooms uh where it's, there's a big uh you know four foot deep bed on the floor of this grain um, and there's lots of warm air and it's just a great environment for germination. So the seed will start to think that it's a nice spring day and it just rained and uh, it's time to turn into a plant. So it'll start to go through these processes of uh, the enzymes traveling through the seed and starting to soften the seed and break down the starches. Um, so after about five days in that germination room, uh, a rootlet will come out of the seed Um and once that's about an inch long, um, they'll they'll kiln the grains, so then they dry it out. So then, that's uh, malted barley. So um, that's a shelf stable uh, product. They bag that up, and then uh, that's good, to, especially in a nice dry place like Fairbanks. It can just sit on a pallet um, for for a year or two, and uh, and be ready to brew at any moment. Um, so in Alaska, we don't have any sort of a malting facility. So somebody would have to, uh, you know, build a way to malt, you know tons and tons of grain at a time uh, to, to even supply the Alaska market. You know, we're, we're a small brewery and we go through, um, you know, two to 4,000 pounds of grain a week. And, uh, you know, and we're pretty small potatoes. Um, where a brewery like, um, you know, Alaskan or Denali Brewing or Midnight Sun, they're going through, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds um, a week just between them. So uh, you would need a, a decent supply of barley and then a way to, kind of process and store all that so we bring um we bring about half of our grain in from germany from a maltster in bamberg germany called wireman um they have the best malt in the world i think so we we bring that all the way you know from the other side of the world uh just to get a, a totally authentic flavor in any of our kind of german european beers um and then the, the rest of our grain but the other half comes from either brief malting in wisconsin or uh uh Great Western malting in uh, in uh, Vancouver, Washington. Um, but the idea of uh, making malt up here is it would be a pretty tough one. Um, the way I can see you doing it is is maybe just making the specialty malts, which are kind of the caramelized grains that we use to 
you know, add color and depth of flavor and character to beers. Um, there are micro maltsters around the, around the country that are starting to do that. They'll, they'll just make these specialty grains that you can kind of uh, augment your beers with. And I, I could see that working up here. Somebody would need to kind of take on that risk and build a little, a little malt house and, and maybe do that. Um, and that'd be, you know, we would be all over that if somebody did that. I think a lot of Alaska breweries would love to use any sort of Alaska product you can. Um, but as we all know, it's pretty tough to do up here. Yeah, I think that the demand for Alaska grown or, or Alaska products is huge. The problem is, is that the supply is so inconsistent or expensive because because we lack the economy of scale. So I definitely don't hold yeah. it against anybody not taking on the risk. Maybe somebody will hear this and decide to take on the risk. Maybe we will finish the bridge, have uh, agriculture land sales in Nanana, and get things going. I don't know how that will work out. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so one one thing, just an observation, uh, maybe this could be my education moment. You were talking about ales and lagers, which I really enjoy the, you know, kind of the pricing of that. Generally, you would imagine, I don't know if this works out in the brewing industry, but the way that you described it, a lager would be a more expensive uh, end product to purchase. So an ale would be cheaper and a lager would be more expensive if I'm going in to buy it generally speaking not not necessarily you know uh it, it takes more time so it's um you know business-wise it's a little more expensive on kind of the capital front where you need more more tank space um but, but going into the store and and looking at ale versus lager for cost um it doesn't really seem that way um if you're looking at a, a kind of your typical light lager, Budweiser, or even kind of premium ones like, let's say, Heineken or Stella, um, those are uh, they're made on such a scale that that they're made. Those breweries are are massive, and they're uh, you know I remember I, I toured the Coors Brewery uh, uh, about a year ago, and they they make in about 18 minutes what we make in a year, uh, beer, beer wise. So just the volume that's coming out of those breweries, um, is just incredible. And, um, so they're able to keep those costs down because they, they have, they just have the, the volume so they can, they can sell those beers at a, at a, at a good price. So for a craft brewer, a lager, um, if we make a lager, um, it can be a, a little more expensive. A lot of times you just kind of swallow that, um, cause you don't want to, um, you know, price yourself out of uh, selling the beer itself. You know, it's only so elastic. So um, a lot of times they'll be about the same price, but um, usually in the, in the kind of craft scene, they might be a little bit more expensive. Just try and recoup a little bit of that that added uh, added capital cost. Well, and w- so where I was going with that one particularly is if you have an ale or a lager or you have a, a cheaper wine, a more expensive wine, whiskeys, there is the potential that something that's more expensive is of higher quality, and that's that's certainly possible. But the higher price is not necessarily reflective of the quality. It really is just capturing the amount of time that the brewer or the distiller had that inventory waiting to be sold. So, just because some because you go in, you might say, "Hey, look at this lager. This is the more expensive." People like to put value on that price tag. Really, it's just a reflection of how long something has been sitting in inventory, not being sold. And so ale, lager, something that's been on the shelf for 20 years or two years, 
I've never really found where people put value into something and say, this is something that's expensive because it's nice, but it's not nice. It's just a cap. It's just capturing the amount of time that something was held in inventory for the producer. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, the whole, the whole, uh, you know, pricing, <laughs> pricing of your kind of finished product that's leaving your business is always just an interesting conundrum of trying to figure out, figure out how to price things and what, uh, you know, what warrants, what prices that's been, uh, you know, when we went into this, that's always been a, a difficult thing. It's like, well, what, what is it? What do we price things at? And what, um, so I think, you know, if you, if you try and say, you know, this spent more time in our, in our tanks and, and, uh, try to recoup that cost, uh, you know, there's, there's one way of doing that, of, of, of doing a higher price, but you also don't want people to see the price and not buy it. And then therefore you kind of are stuck with this product. So you kind of have to, yeah, you just have to weigh the, way the um, pricing scenarios and at uh, some point just go for it. <laughs> well, let me, I'll do uh, one last question here. We, you know, I could listen to somebody talking about brewing beer all day long. Cause it's something I'm not any good at it. I'm interested. I understood some of the, the uh, words. Unfortunately, I didn't clarify them as we were going pitching the yeast wart. Somebody can just type that in, look it up in the process. We don't need to go through all of that, but how has bringing bringing uh, the recreational marijuana industry into Alaska do they do they complement each other as far as the craft brewery goes? Are they completely unrelated? How is how has that developed in in Fairbanks for you? Yeah, um, you know Fairbanks is pretty pretty um, hotbed as far as there's a lot of growers and a lot of uh, shops up here. There's a lot lot in Anchorage too, but. Um, um, I, you know, I mean, I guess there was probably some worry by some brewers that, you know, people would start, uh, you know, using more cannabis and drinking less beer or something like that. But, I, you know, I never really thought that it would affect affect anything. And, you know, as far as we can tell, it, it hasn't affected anything, you know, um, detrimentally or anything like that. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the, uh, you know, cannabis users are, are craft beer drinkers, too. That's kind of they kind of go together in a lot of ways, um, just just lifestyle wise. Um, we have a, a, a shop, uh, about a block from us called Pacalolo, good friends of ours. And they're, um, they've been just great. They, uh, they had their, you know, Christmas party at, at the brewery and, um, they, they started, a um, about a month ago, they started taking some of our spent grains, um, and they're uh, experimenting with mixing it with their soils. They do, um, living soils you know as opposed to hydroponics so they're they're trying different different soil blends and um and they've been using our spent grain in their soils which is really really kind of neat um you know there there are a couple shops in fairbanks looking for kind of the on-site consumption so basically trying to do the, the taproom model that breweries do but be able to do that for uh um, cannabis users um at their shops uh, so it's interesting to watch them unfold and try and kind of fight for their rights in this new industry. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's great. I think, uh, um, you know, people enjoy the, the freedom of, uh, that it's not illegal anymore and it's not so taboo. And, it, um, as I was, you know, grown up into, uh, into believing. So, um, I, I think it's great. I think it's been uh, good for our industry as good as it is for just, just people in general, just to have the freedom to, 
to do what they want to do. It's always great to have a business opportunity for for somebody. If somebody's going to go mix their labor, provide something that the public wants, it's great to see them be able to offer that, to make a living doing it, and then that recirculates. You know, whatever amount of multiplier that is in the community, it certainly is one that brings things. I don't know if it necessarily brings things out of the black market. That might be a kind of a, a false flag type of argument, but. What it does is it allows somebody to go out, make a living, provide something that the public wants. But next time, yeah, absolutely. Next time that I'm in Fairbanks, I'm I'm recording this out here, Bristol Bay. So my time in Fairbanks is is not that frequently. But as I told you, I was doing a job in Flowline. I could look over, I could see Hoodoo Brew. I'll definitely stop by, grab something from you. Hopefully, everybody can go in, go to hoodoobrew.com you can find all of the information there um you have anything coming up really soon well this is kind of the uh kind of uh once you get past the christmas this is uh you know more or less the kind of a slower time of year which we kind of uh, use to do just kind of uh take a deep breath before we start diving in the summer um we have a couple of new beers coming out we usually have a new new beer coming out you know let's say no real rhythm to it but uh once every couple of weeks or months, so we have a we have a New England IPA coming out pretty quick here, and uh, also we made we made an ESB for uh, UAF uh, their uh, anniversary a few years ago. So now we've been making that uh, usually one, usually once a year we'll make that. So we got that uh, coming back out. It's just a delicious beer. Um, but other than that, we're just kind of kind of cruising. So yeah, when you make it up here, um, definitely stop by and. Uh, See if I'm uh, see if I'm around. I'm usually at the brewery, so uh, I'd love to show you around. Yeah, I'll do that. Teach well, you more about beer. No, well, it, it, it's great. Maybe we'll talk again sometime close to one of the solstices. Sometimes this was okay. Bobby with Hoodoo Brewery. Thanks for coming on to Alaska Conversations. Talk to you soon. Okay, you bet. Thank you.